Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way. And then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place. Um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. We sing as the people of God to remind each other that it's about Jesus and not about us. And it takes songs. It takes us standing, posturing ourselves, raising hands, reading out truth, because we forget so easily. So this morning, hopefully you're here on time, which for most of you is 9.15, but it's at 9. And um, that's what we're doing. We're reminding ourselves that it's about Jesus, not about us. Hey, my name's Darren. I'm, one of the, I'm, I'm the lead pastor here. I'm one of the pastors. But we've been doing a small series on healthy relationships. What does it mean for us to live the way God intended us to live with each other in the first place? This morning, I would like to discuss a few things. I want to make a couple of points um, and interview one of our, our friends from this community and uh, land together on what that looks like for us to both love God and love our neighbors. Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to suggest this morning that you exist For something greater than yourself. If you follow Jesus, you exist for something greater than yourself. If you are part of this church, I want to suggest that we exist as the garden for something greater than the garden. Greater than a Sunday gathering, greater than just us. We exist for something greater. If you are not a follower of Jesus, if you don't believe in God, I want to suggest that if you're human, you exist for something greater than yourself. So I think I covered our basis this morning. So go to Genesis chapter 1. Um, 
And as you go, if you need a Bible, we got some new green Bibles. Um, you can have this if you don't have a Bible of your own. Please, you can take this, write in it, highlight it. That's fine. Genesis chapter 1. Um, we'll go there in just a second. But the reason I'm talking about this this morning is not just because we're focusing on having healthy relationships, but to, it's to discuss why we have healthy relationships in the first place. But more than that, honestly, as I've been looking around this room, I see a lot of new faces. I see a lot of unfamiliar faces. It seems like the garden is beginning to grow more and more. And um, that's a good thing. I mean, it's great. Our attendance has grown. Um, we have probably over 300 people in our church now. We have uh, kids' services that are growing. Kids are, are, are coming, which is a good thing. Youth is growing. Uh, we, we, have, we have a growing financial budget. We have growing ministries. We have growing mission and impact. And, and all of that may seem like it's a good thing, right? Growth is a good thing. But we, two years ago, set out as a church to be a certain kind of community. And for some of us, we've heard about these stories. We've, we've taught about this for over two years. We've reminded ourselves of why we gather, of why we're doing what we're doing here. And for me, I just, I wanted to remind us of of what we're really about as a church. So if you're new, it's important to know why we started this church in the first place and what this whole story of the garden is about. You see, when we started this church, we never wanted to be the biggest church. We never wanted to focus on building bigger programs, bigger attendance, the greatest worship, the best speakers. Um, we, we never wanted to focus on all of those things that churches tend to focus. It's not a bad thing, and we're not comparing us to them. But our heart was never to be that kind of community. Our, our heart and our desire was to be the kind of community that lived out its faith. The kind of community that would release ordinary disciples empowered by the Holy Spirit on mission for everyday life. That the way we would grow is not by more programs, but by releasing us as the body to the world. That our ministries wouldn't be about getting more and more volunteers for us, but it would be about strategically mobilizing the people of God, simply giving them a new paradigm to see that their families are the primary place of discipleship, that you as an individual in your workplace, in your neighborhood, um, with your friends, with your, with your jobs, with your passions, with your, your pain, whatever God's placed in your life for ministry is what we want to see happen here. That's the type of church we want to be. And it, it, there's not a lot of great models out there other than when we look back to the New Testament. And even that, I mean, you look at Acts and they're messed up as a church. You read Corinthians, that, that place was crazy. Ephesus, I mean, we learned a little bit about Ephesus last week. It's crazy. But as a church, we want to fight for that type of DNA. Are you with me on that? And so for me, as we've talked about relationships, as you begin to list where we live out our discipleship as an individual in the places we work, um, as families, in our marriage, with our children, with our, our extended family, with our communities, in the church as the body, um, we, we start to deal with a lot of people, right? That ministry doesn't exist apart from relationship. Let me say that again. Ministry doesn't exist apart from relationship. You see, ministry is dependent upon your relationship with God and your relationship to other people. And so this morning, I want to suggest this point, that I want to demonstrate through Scripture. I just want to give us a survey of the whole 
Bible, really, um, that there is an unbreakable link between your relationship with God and your relationship to other people. That there is an unbreakable link between your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. So, for all of you humans, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Are we awake? Are we ready to roll? All right, we're fired up. Genesis 1, God's, uh, God creates the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. Darkness was, hover, uh, was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In the beginning, God creates all of creation, heavens and the earth. And He goes off and in six, day, six days, He creates all of eternity that we know about it. He, and on the sixth day, He says in verse 24, um, I'm sorry, verse 26, let us make mankind in our image. Skip down to verse 28. So God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. In the beginning, before there is the church, God creates all of humanity in his image and he says, now go and rule over it, subdue it, steward it, take care of all of this creation. From the beginning of creation, God was looking for partners to partner with him in the caring of creation. From the beginning of time, God was looking for ordinary humans to partner with him in the stewarding of all creation. From the beginning of time, God was looking for regular folks to be used to represent him on earth for the sake of all creation. You don't have to follow Jesus to know that. That's just from Genesis chapter 1. Are you with me? You see that? Do you see that? Yes. I saw this pastor the other day a couple weeks ago, and he had some great acronyms, and he, just, he would be like, all right, stand up. Say, I will do this. I will do this. It was just so great. I'm like, I want a congregation like that. No, I wasn't jealous of the congregation. I just said, I want to I I be more like that, but I'm not, so I can't do that. Okay, anyways, I don't know where I was going with that. I love you the same. Exodus 19. Go to Exodus. So, beginning of time, God's looking for partners to partner with Him in the stewarding of creation. Then uh, we know that sin enters into the world, Genesis chapter 3, and, and it, things go south, right? And so uh, the whole world is corrupted. God starts over with Noah, and then again it gets corrupted. The Tower of Babel, He puts some new languages in the place. Then He selects a particular guy named Abraham. God, God's looking for individuals throughout the Old Testament that will partner with him to continue his journey and mission with mankind. Do you see that throughout the Old Testament? If you haven't read the Bible, that's fine, but if you're a follower of Jesus, this is the story of God. He's looking for individuals and people to partner with him. Then, after a season of, of, of God not partnering with people, people are oppressed. And in Exodus, we read about the people of Israel. That God said in Genesis 12 to Abraham that he was going to make him kind of the archetype. He's going to become the, 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 the father of many generations that would become the descendants. That he would have, he would, uh, his offspring would be the people of God. Okay, so in Exodus 19 we read about the people of God. And God saves Israel out of the hands of Egypt. And then he, he gives them this kind of statement, this command, and this kind of, um, this kind of uh, contract covenant, if you will. He says... If you obey, this is verse 5, I'm sorry, Exodus 19, verse 5. Am I ahead of myself? I'm excited, I'm pumped, I want to get to my friend. Um, let me slow down. Verse 5. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, 
Then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God says to the people of Israel, if you keep my covenant, if you obey my commands, you will be set apart from me from all other nations on earth. And you will be put on display for all the nations to see that I am God. That's my own language. That, that the, the people of God are set apart and put on display. God says that they will become a kingdom of priests. Now what does a priest do? In the Old Testament, it's simple. A priest intercedes on behalf of God to all other people and on behalf of all other people intercedes for them to God. Do you see that? So a priest represents God to people and the people to God. And he says, you as my people will represent me on earth for all of the nations to see that I am God. This was the commandment of all the Israelites in the Old Testament. And God goes on to give them the Ten Commandments, gives them uh, the, the Torah, the, the way of life as we know it. We did a whole series on this. And, and, then, and then it goes on. And what happens throughout history? What happens with the people of Israel? These are the people that are supposed to represent God on earth. What do they do? They don't do it. They don't keep His commandments. They don't fulfill the law. They don't demonstrate God's mercy and grace and love. Instead, they, they build up um, slaves, they build temples, they oppress, they, they, they have wars and battles and the rulers, the kings that are representing God to the people, they don't represent God at all. And so what, the, what happens over time is God chooses prophets to remind the people of Israel what they're supposed to live like. Do you remember this? And then we get to Jesus. And what does Jesus say about it? Jesus becomes the fulfillment of all the Old Testament laws, of all the life and the way that God intended us to live. And I just want to read one passage from, uh, from, from John chapter 13. So go to John 13. John 13, verse 34. So the Old Testament, the people of God, they don't do it. Instead, they need a Savior, a Messiah to reveal, to, to show to create a way for them to fulfill what God's people were intended to fill in the first place. That if the people that have been selected by God are not representing God to people, what does that do to God's mission on earth? If his mission is to partner with people to, to subdue, to, uh, to redeem, to restore, to, uh, to steward all of creation to himself. And the people that are supposed to do that aren't doing that. What is that what what happens to God's mission? It gets corrupted. And so God through Jesus fulfills what we were supposed to fill as the people of God in the Old Testament. Do you see yourself in the story? And Jesus comes and he fulfills it. And then on the night after living with his disciples for 3 years, on the night that he was betrayed, he has this this great long session with his disciples. And if you were following somebody, a great teacher, or, or you invested your life to a rabbi, his last words to you would be extremely important. Especially if he was saying, I'm going to take off and you're not going to see me. He talked about this resurrection, but you didn't get that. But you would listen to his last words. And I want to show you what Jesus' last, last words are and how much of the New Testament emphasizes those last words. In verse 34, Jesus gets up from the table washes his disciples' feet, and he says to them, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. 
So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The commandment to his disciples is this. Love each other as I have loved you. By this, everyone in the world will know that I am God. That you are my disciples by the way you love one another. Do you see how significant that is? Do you see how ancient that really is? That, that points back to Exodus, that they will be the kind of people that will represent God on earth. People will see God through the way the people of God live. And then you go back to Genesis, that God's looking for people to partner with him, to represent him on earth. Jesus is restoring that, and he says to those that follow him, live it out as I have lived it out. By this, everyone else will know, period. How are we doing on that? I mean, I mean, honestly, if someone looked into your everyday 24-7 life, if you just said, hey, come follow me, follow me to work, follow me on my, my, my commute to work when I come home and see my spouse, follow me in the chores that I do and the people that I hang out with with the people that I don't hang out with, would they see the love of God to the world? That's the command. But then the authors of the, uh, the writers of the New Testament kind of emphasize this and I, again I just want to give us a great picture so the New Testament Jesus says that and then we see that the way that, that we're supposed to treat each other is to represent God on earth we get that now let's go to 1st John are you in for a tour of the New Testament we're going to go backwards so start in 1st John and we'll go the other way so first uh, chapter 3 1st John chapter 3 listen to what John writes to one of his churches. He, John uh, was the same author of the John we just read. And this is later on in life. And he's writing to a group of people, his, his kind of churches around different parts of the Roman Empire, Asia Minor. And he writes this. He says in verse 14, we know, he's talking about the church and those that follow Jesus, that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. We know that we've passed from death to life because we love one another. Go to verse 7, same uh, in chapter 4. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves, loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. The way we know we're from God is by the way we love one another. The way we know we don't know God is when we don't love each other. Okay, verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So our response to God's love for us is to love each other. Uh, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So no one's ever seen God, but if we love each other, we see God in our love for each other. I'm speaking like a philosopher. But do you see the significance that there is some type of link between the way we love God or the, the love we receive from God and the way we love each other? Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God and yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. It's simple. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. So here's the, f the flip side. If you don't love your brothers and sisters, 
you obviously don't love God because you can see these guys, but you can't see this guy. So how can you see these guys and hate them and try to love God who you can't see? Do you see the logic? Again, philosophy, it's brilliant. And he has given us this command. He just reiterates what he did in uh, the Gospel of John chapter 13. Anyone who loves God must also love their brothers and sisters. Uh, let's go to First Peter. I'm trying to make the connection. We'll just go one book to the left, two books to the left, excuse me. First uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 7. I love this one because it always convicts me. So if there's a connection between the way we love each other and the way we love God and vice versa, listen to the way Peter says it to husbands. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Husbands, treat your wives in a way so nothing hinders your prayers. All the husbands are like, yeah, I definitely see that. Or all the newly marrieds are like, what are you talking about? There's no, there's no fighting going on. Husbands, treat your wives in a way that doesn't affect your prayers. I mean, you get it. When you're in a fight, I mean, okay, I'll be really honest. The last thing Alex wants to do with me when I'm being mean to her is pray with me, right? Unless I'm using it for some form of manipulation and control, which I have done. I will admit, again, forgive me. But think about how the way we treat people affects the relationship we have with God and vice versa. You know, just a small point. So many of us long for this type of community, but we're not even with God. Uh, let's go to James chapter 2. I love James. It's so simple. I'm sorry, go to, uh, yeah, James chapter 2. Or did I put Galatians in there? What did I do? Gal go to Galatians. We'll go out of order. Uh, let's read it up here. It says this, um, this is Paul writing. He says, carry each other's burden and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. When you carry each other's burdens, your pains, your brokenness, your sins, when someone in your community is hurting, when your friend is carrying something that is heavy and it becomes lighter, when you carry it with him, when you do that, you fulfill the law of Christ. You fulfill this law when you do this law first. The horizontal fulfills the vertical. You're with me. Let's go to James chapter 2. Verse 14, James 2, 14, page 848. I'm sorry, I should have given you page numbers. Page 848. Or if you have an iPhone, type in James chapter 2 and scroll down to verse 14. Cheaters. One, no, one day we will have a test. We will have a test who's faster at getting to the place that we need to get to. Is it a smartphone or a smart person? I don't know. Siri. Siri. <laughs> <laughs> is it Siri? That's hilarious. Um, how many husbands have an inappropriate relationship with Siri? Raise of hands. Just kidding. Siri is the new personal assistant on iPhone. In case you didn't know. Yeah, it's, it's useless. Okay, verse 14. <laughs> what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? This isn't about being saved through works, but he's making a deeper point. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith without works is dead. Let me make this point. I say to my wife all the time, I love you, babe, I love you, babe, I love you, babe. Babe, you're awesome, I love you, babe. I love you, I love you, I love you. But if I don't, 
show her love through how I live with her. If I treat her terribly, if I forget the dishes every time she asks me to clean them, if I'm unconcerned about her emotions when she's feeling upset, if I don't take care of her when she's sick, do you think I've demonstrated my love for my wife or have I just given her lip service? What would you say? In the same way, faith without works is dead, according to James. That our faith in God, our relationship with God, plays out in our relationship with other people. You with me? Okay, that's enough scripture. Uh, Let's go one more. Acts chapter 2. Oh, love this. If you know me, you know I love Acts. I love going to Acts 2. Talks about the spirit, talks about the early church, talks about the messiness that churches are. It just gives me an excuse as a pastor to say, hey, they messed it up too. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The church is born in Acts 2 at 9 o'clock in the morning. In case you wondered, when was the church started? It started on 9 o'clock in the morning on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus was crucified. We know that. It's biblical. Pentecost was a time where the Jewish community celebrated the festival of weeks, the renewal of covenant. It's just, it's all built in the Jewish festivals and systems. It was part of the yearly calendar. And we get to Acts chapter 2. Luke records what happens to the church. So this is just him saying, this is what's happened to the, the people of God. And what happens is the Spirit of God comes upon them. Peter preaches the message Thousands of people are saved. And then Luke just records what happens in this early church. This is what the church did. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Now I want you to highlight fellowship. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Circle common. Or highlight it. Or do whatever. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying favor uh, of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, Acts chapter 2. We see this. The word fellowship in common. The word fellowship does not exist until this moment in history. Fellowship, this is the first time the word is used in the entire New Testament. It did not exist prior to Pentecost. The word fellowship can only exist when a church on mission is filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't exist just because we grab some food and hang out at our, at our fellowship hall. Maybe you had those churches growing up. It doesn't exist when you bring the punch and I bring the, the little square bites of whatever that is with, with those, you know, those um, frivoly little toothpicks in them. Those frivoly? Frivoly little toothpicks. Have you guys seen Mitch Hedberg? You know that stand-up, Mitch Hedberg? Yeah, okay, good, all right. Mitch Hedberg, rest in peace. Um, <laughs> the church, I don't know what that's from. The church doesn't exist. Just because of that, the only way the church, uh, the, the fellowship exists, excuse me, is when a church on mission is filled with the Holy Spirit. The word for fellowship is this Greek word called koinonia. It's also, it comes from this word koine, which where we get the word common. It's where we get the word common. So fellowship's connected to commonality and common. And, and uh, every time the word is used in the New Testament, it has something to do with some type of sharing. Experience, needs, 
goods, resources, life. There's something to do with sharing, that all the believers were together and had everything in common. Fellowship cost something for the early church. Somebody had something and they gave it to someone that didn't have something. And in that sharing, they had fellowship. Somebody was persecuted and and the people prayed for them. And in that mission, in that, that cost of sacrifice, there's some type of fellowship, koinonia. This is what it means to be the church. At the core level, what separates us from all the other types of gatherings out there, from all the other religions, is this word in particular, fellowship. It's spirit-filled community. And it costs the church everything to have it. It's not this emotional feeling, but true fellowship is when we as followers of Jesus give everything we have away, not focusing on our needs, but the needs of others. When the Spirit enables us to do that, we represent God to everyone else on earth. That's why the Lord added to their number daily. Because there are sociological studies saying that people in the first and third and fourth centuries wanted to become like the Christians. That's why they became Christian. Because of how they lived and treated each other. That is proof. There's a book called The Rise of Christianity by Rodney Stark. If you're interested, fascinating sociological study of how the the church went from about 1,000 people to 250 million people. It's fascinating. In 300 years. It's because of this word fellowship. It denotes intimacy. Fellowship has to do with with the way you share, the way you give, the way you give up. It has to do with finances. You read every time somebody talks about it in 2 Corinthians, the, the people of God gave their resources so that others that had need no longer were in need. That's what it meant to be a part of the body. That's what it meant to be a follower of Christ when the Spirit came on the church. People were sold out for each other. They didn't know what else to do. Nobody gave them a blueprint of, hey, here's how you share your resources. Here's Dave Ramsey's seven steps to financial freedom or whatever it is. And it's a good thing. No. It was ludicrous to say, hey, I have a giant property. Why don't I sell that and give to your needs? That's what they did. They shared with each other. That's just one way that we reflect God. But this is what you do. And some of you have experienced this. I mean, what happens when you're bonded and sacrificed? When I was on a water polo team, we would we'd get to the pool at 5 a.m. every day, Monday through Friday, and we would go to school afterwards. And we would go back in the pool from 3 to 5.30. I was so exhausted, my mom picked me up from school have the dinner in the car. I would eat dinner. I would go home and do homework and go to sleep. But everyone else was doing that. And so we created this camaraderie, this bond. When you go on a mission trip, you're there for, you know these people for three weeks, but you come back best friends. Why? Because you're on mission. You sacrifice, you lay down, you experience things that have nothing to do with your preferences and comforts. Some of us don't like Indian food. Some of us don't like 90 degree weather with humidity. Some of us don't like sleeping with mosquitoes biting us. But when you do that together, when you lay down your preferences, God forms this community, this fellowship. You get it. We get it, mission trips, sports teams, frat houses, for whatever that is. That's a negative one. Um, It doesn't really matter. Seasons of crisis when we come around each other. That's what happens to the church. That's what we're here for. I want to introduce my buddy Chad. Chad, where are you at? Come up, bud. Welcome, Chad. Can I I get the handheld? Uh, 
Thanks for being brave. Thanks for being here. I have a microphone coming to you. This is my buddy Chad. I've known him. He's been at the garden for like two and a half years. Before we were the garden, when we were the Long Beach Project, Chad and his family came. His child was the first dedicated. So you have that title um, on you. Yes. Um, yes. Lindsay, uh, Lindsay, Dylan. So here's Chad. He's been a part of a community group for over two years. He's led a community group. Um, but Chad is a good friend. We've known each other for a couple years. And I just thought his story, what he's living in now, can be just the testimony of what we're talking about this morning. So Chad, would you tell us a little bit about yourself? Who are you? What do you do? What is life like for Chad Tim Tim? Um, I am a, a husband and a father of two little girls. And I am a professional skateboarder. And I travel a lot. So... Yes. yes. So, so Chad and, travels skating. One time we had coffee. I had to go and write a message. He had to go, f- and a photographer would follow him while he took, while the photographer took pictures of him skating. That's his job. That's all he does. So that's it. Just kidding. No, that's just it. kidding. <laughs> um, no. Okay. So you guys have been in a tough season. The last last season, we won't put dates on it, but it's been a tough season. Would you just describe what's been going on? If you feel f- yeah, free yeah. to um, do that. I think um, yeah, this season has definitely been challenging. Uh, I think it started when I came to community group. <laughs> so okay, let's just end that right there. No, I'm just <laughs> I'll sit down. Um, I think I see a couple years ago I uh, I lost income, therefore started getting behind on my mortgage payments. In that process of like lose, losing income and, and mortgage, we had a murder in the family going on further we're still we're, i mean we're still dealing with this but going on further we had a family member due to the murder lose to addiction and, and had to go to rehab for a while and i think it was just like things piled up piled up piled up and we were just kind of like didn't know how to handle it so i think this season was uh is there anything else was no, that's good. i mean he knows he's season he knows so this season was one where you were challenged as as um Someone that's providing for your family first, mm-hmm. where, where you're hit by income. Your house has been in transition to where now you moved out of your home that mm-hmm. you purchased. Uh, you, you've lost some of your, the, the stuff that you had in your job because of that. You, you have family crisis of murder. You have a family conflict of addiction. And all of the emotional baggage and implications that, that could happen in one set season. So that's a big deal. How have you seen God in the midst of this? Where do you see God moving? What's two years ago before this happened? How do you see yourself now looking back? Um, I see. I see a lot of. Uh, I saw a lot of anger. I saw a lot of um, just lost and like confusion and questions. But I also saw a lot of uh, a lot of people coming beside us. A lot of fellowship. And what I mean is a lot of people just being there at our side. And um, I saw God in a different way. I think it was a lot of, uh, probably the hardest thing was just to trust and mm-hmm. have faith in what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And I think it was in the small victories of just people just would just ask you, just real simple, like, how are you doing today? You know, just that little simple thing. Or I would get a text from somebody say, I'm praying for you today, or praying for you today. And it was just like, ah. Uh, Cool. I needed that, you know. Yeah. So in the, okay. So talk a little bit more in detail. Well, how did how did? Because I know very specifically that the community that you didn't have two and a half years ago, uh, came that you have now came around you and Lindsay and the family. What are some ways that you saw God through community? 
Um, I think one way was uh, financially. As soon as we, as soon as I lost my income, I think it was two, two or three months later is when we found out a murder in our in our family, and uh, we had to fly to Texas. But I could only, we couldn't afford to go, so we could only afford for my wife and my child to go at the time. And then I was I was at home, and I remember a group from our community group said, "Well, what are you doing here? You need to go. You need to be there." And they paid for my my plane ticket to go. And that was, and that was kind of, that showed me the importance of tithing one way. Mm. Mm. Um, another way was uh, our community got, got around us and um, held a, a garage sale, and that helped pay for our mortgage one month. And that was, that was pretty rad. <laughs> and you saw God through that. that it, I remember you saying that you know through the words of encouragement, through the advice, through the financial provision that the community had, that the community became the answer to to your prayers. Yeah. That, that you saw God using community to impact your own life. Yeah. And that connected you to God, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I, that's, what I, <laughs> that's what I was hearing. I, 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 my own ability to have understanding of God is very limited. So when, when you're in process with other people and carrying trials or burdens, it, I, it, I think when you come into a, a group, people shed light yeah. and, and it kind of helps you understand to connect to your father and that's like a big thing for me because I can't I don't understand the Bible it goes yeah. over my head a lot of times and yeah. other people have really cool perspectives that are like oh I never thought about that about it that way and yeah. process that yeah so I just I thank you Chad what any encouragement you can give us you have the microphone in view of what you're hearing in view of your testimony what would you want to just say to us as you stand here um life's hard <laughs> and it's not I don't think it's meant to go alone you know I think there's a lot of people uh, especially in the garden has really showed me that a lot of people are here for you and to carry these weights and to cry together, to laugh together, to, to break bread together. So Yeah, awesome. Thank you for sharing, Chad. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Chad's been a really great friend to me, and I've seen his character. I'll just say this. Why I think in seasons of crisis, you see the character of a man or woman. That the way you handle crisis, the way you handle financial crisis, sickness, the way you handle the world coming down on you, all those questions, all those insecurities, those fears, those brokenness, the way you handle that will show and reveal the character. And the, the man I see standing here, it's just, it's, Chad, it's amazing to have you here. Thank you for sharing. He's just become a strong friend and a, a real a strong believer in times and seasons. But the early church did not have an easy job becoming this kind of community. The kind of community that would share everything. I mean, you read about in Acts chapter 6, there are Arabic, or Arabic, Aramaic-speaking Jews and Greek-speaking Jews. And they're having conflict with each other. Completely different cultures, completely different traditions, expectations, language. All of those barriers under the roof of the people of God, under the church. And yet, they still gave to each other. They encouraged, they, they shared meals, they broke bread, they lived together with the messiness. And the, this type of authentic community that I'm wanting to get to, it requires us to give up everything we desire and have. Bonhoeffer said that for those that seek after community, that desire community, will never find it. But those that love people will naturally find community. So the question is, if, if we made the statement our relationship with God is connected to our relationship with people. Well, how are we doing with those two types of relationships? 
I mean, I have so many people that are excited for community. I want, they want to be intimate. They're, they're, they're pumped on this whole idea. They want what Chad's talking about. And, and, and just the dream of it keeps them from experiencing it. And, and I'll just be real frank, most of us aren't being with Jesus in the first place. That our spirituality has been limited to a Sunday morning or the midweek fellowship time, fellowship. But the, the way we're designed to reveal God is through our relationships with people. We have to be with God. Because I'll tell you, if, if you know anything, what happens is, is you, when you come to the church, you discover that God's perfect, right? You come, you come to, to know God and you discover He's perfect. But when you come to church, you realize that people aren't perfect. I mean, people are selfish. We are... are by far, at our, core, at our core, extraordinarily self-centered, we're short-tempered, we're easily offended, we're easily offendable, we're embittered, we're irritable, we're mean, we're rude, we're quick, we're impatient, we're imperfect in every way, and then that's just the church. And how is it that those types of people are supposed to come together and reveal God? It's not on a pastor or an elder or some type of leadership program or purpose-driven whatever. It's on the people of God getting it in ordinary ways. When your friend's hurting financially, you, you, you share the burden with them financially. When you get news about something that's going to impact you and your spouse, you don't run over with the answer, well, God's going to do this, 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 and this. You run over with tears. Because your heart is sharing the burden of what they're holding. When someone's parents find out they have cancer, you come around them like one of our community groups and you just pray like crazy for them and that, that, that person that's affected. You carry the burden. Are you with me on that? We want to reveal God through the way we love each other. And I just got to say this. This is such hard work. So here's some suggestions for us as we continue to grow as a church, as we continue to bring more and more people in, as we impact the city the way we desire. It's going to take us living out this type of relationship, the relationship with God and with others. I want to say this. In order to have this type of community, we first have to give up our preferences and give ourselves. That we have to let, let go of our comforts and our expectations, our hopes, our desires. We have, to, we have to give up our lives as we know it for the sake of revealing God. How many times do we walk into a group and think, how can I give today? Honestly, how many times do we go to a social gathering and think, man, how can I just be there as a blessing, as a redemptive presence? Not what's in it for me, how many girls are going to be there, what type of drinks are they going to have, what's the attire... How do you become in everyday gatherings the redemptive presence of Jesus Christ by, where, the, by the way you give up your preferences? We lived in a self-focused society that literally is built around us. The second thing we have to give up is our consumerism. Whether you think this or not, we are all living in a culture of consumerism. Everything is built around your needs. Churches have been built around your preferences what type of music, what type of speaker, what type of coffee, what kind of chair, what type of programs, what type of kids designed warehouses are there? 
how they pass the bucket, what type of songs they sing, what, how they read the scripture, what, what variation of scripture are they reading from, NRSV, King James, NIV. Everything has been built around this consumer-oriented culture in the church, let alone outside. When it's all about you anyways, if we want to see this type of community, we have to give up our consumerism. We commit to each other despite what we feel. I mean, how many times are we walking out saying that was a great message, that was a bad, the worship was this, or, or literally check off the list versus saying, man, I was able to give this person this today. I was able to affirm this girl who needed an affirmation. I came behind this girl that stood up for prayer and I just asked Jesus to use me and for somehow, somehow he did and I wasn't expecting that. Or I just gave everything I could when I set up at 6 a.m. or whatever it is. That's just the body, let alone taking it outside. Do you see the type of heart I'm talking about? Do you see the gravity of what's at stake? Because we will grow. We're looking at a building right up the street. We're going to have seats for 500. Do you think it's going to be hard to fill? No. This church, 90% of the city doesn't go to church. What type of church are we going to be? The kind that expects the leaders to do it or everyone gets it? That's what I want. That's, that's the dream. That's the type of community. So we've got to give up our consumerism. We've got to give up our idea of what abundance is. We celebrate abundance. Even, even as a church, the, the test will be, do we count seats or disciples for our church? Do we count tithes or do, or do we count generosity of heart? How do we, how do we see the church in, in, in the lens? How do we see our community? Uh, we, we have, number three, we have to give up our pettiness and let things go. In order to have this kind of community, you need to know the language of forgiveness. You have to speak grace. It is, we are, we are so offendable, we are so petty. And, and women, I just want to say this, and no men struggle with this, we have to stop gossiping. If it's not building someone up, you don't say it at all, period. It's not getting advice, it's gossip, and it kills the church. We have to let go of pettiness, did she mean this? Give the people the benefit of the doubt and let things go. Don't hold it against them anymore. Forgive like crazy. We will experience this authentic community. We got to do this by committing. Um, I think the fourth thing is you, you see that the, it said that they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. We have to devote ourselves to something, especially in this maybe culture on Facebook. Yes, no, maybe. And every single time the party is like a thousand maybes, but 40 yes committed. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like you're planning for a party and just maybe, maybe, maybe on the RSVPs. And you're like, dude, we could have 200 people or we could have 20. We don't know. <laughs> Seriously. We yet, our yes is yes and our no is no. But we got to be committed to this type of thing. And finally, we have to rely on the Holy Spirit. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit. We have to become people of the Spirit of God. The church is the place where the Spirit dwells. Christ dwells here through, in us through His Spirit. And we become empowered. We do this through the Spirit. We do this through um, every time we gather. We should wait on the Lord. We should allow the Holy Spirit to move. We shouldn't feel uncomfortable when we call people forward and we see God moving. When we go to community groups, we should see the Spirit move. We should be Spirit-led people, not just in the gifts, but in the fruit. 
Peace, patience, kindness, love, gentleness, all of that stuff that takes time. We should see that here. You're with me on that. When we start doing those things, I'm just breaking down from my experience how we can develop right relationships with each other that reveal God to the world. you with me. Okay, I want to pray. Um, I want to have some time for one song of worship, but I want to just challenge you guys with this. If you call yourself a gardener, if this is your home, I want to invite you to write this down and commit to this once a week. Every week, commit to this. And you know what? I'm not an acronym guy. I'm not like five steps to emotional freedom or anything like that. But I just want to call you to, I'm stealing this from someone, and I'm just using four, but it's called Bell. Now go to the first one. The first one is bless. I want to challenge every single person here to bless one person a day. Send them an affirmation. Send them an encouraging text message. I mean, it's funny that Chad could say anything about his story, but he brings up someone gave him a text message when he needed it. How simple is that? Send, uh, give, buy somebody a meal. Do anything to bless someone. Whatever that word means to you. Every single day, think of blessing a complete stranger, a friend, a family member. Just bless somebody else. Go to the next one. Eat. This is so foreign to us. But the diner table, the di- dining table is the greatest place for evangelism, for discipleship, for fellowship to be developed. Would you consider, consider eating two meals a week with someone that's in our community or in your community, whatever that means to you, and who's not in your community? This is a discipline, in case you want to know. Disciplines help shape our souls to become more like Jesus even when we don't feel like being like Jesus. They don't do anything themselves but help shape and form our souls to become more like Jesus. There's nothing spiritual necessarily about this except we're practicing what Jesus would practice. Why is eating so important? Well, I think you build intimacy if you allow people into your home and you share a meal with someone in community. But you will, imagine inviting a stranger. Paul says, extend hospitality to strangers. Hebrews talks about entertaining strangers and that you're entertaining angels. So the challenge is for everyone to put on your calendar a time, whether it's a lunch, breakfast, coffee, or at your house, someone in our community and outside. And I really, I mean, I just want to challenge you. That's a big deal. That's a hard thing to do. The two other things, the the L is listen to the Holy Spirit. I want to challenge our church to pray an hour a week, starting with listening. I was thinking, imagine if I had 200 people Imagine if I had a hundred people praying an hour a week. A hundred people. A hundred hours a week in our church. Imagine if we had 200 people. 200 hours of prayer where we could send out an email and 200 people will lift it up that week. Just that week. 168 hours in the work week, or in the week. And we had 200 hours of prayer. That would be amazing. Let's start by listening to God and praying. And the last L is simply to learn as a disciple so it's, it's um, bless, eat, listen, learn. Learn is to, we need to be reading the scripture. I can't talk to how many people that are just passionate about God, passionate about community, leading communities, but don't spend any time in this thing. Would you spend some time, whatever it means for you, read five verses, read the Bible in a year, it doesn't matter. Commit to reading this every single week. You with me? So, how many of you will take the challenge? Raise your hand. For reals. 
Awesome. Thank you. That's amazing. So we'll, we'll come back on that. Jamie, would you just come up? Um, we'll lead us in a song. Can I have everyone stand? Let's just close our eyes. We'll have Jamie sing us a song. We'll go on our way. Um, we have leadership community after, this, uh, after the 11 o'clock. But I, I recognize that as we talk about these things, we recognize a few things. One, some of us are feeling a, an invitation from the Holy Spirit to be connecting more with God regularly. Right? We're just like, yeah, I, you know what? I need to be with Jesus. Duh. So I want, if, if that's you, I just want to encourage you right now, would you just commit to whatever God's putting on your heart? Just commit. The second thing is this. I really felt that there's people in here that need to practice forgiveness. That there's somebody right on the tip of your mind just that sticks out. You're like, yep, I'm holding bitterness against them. I want to invite you to forgive. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe you're holding something over somebody that they don't even know it. And you, just, you, don't, you don't need to go and call them and make amends, but you just need to give them up to God, okay? So as we sing the song, um, we're just going to end that t- end of time with the song. Would you just commit to whatever God's putting on your heart? Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, thank you for this word for our community that, in fact, we are to represent you on earth and how we treat each other. Lord, may you give us fellowship. Give us the ability to let go, to forgive, to give grace, to extend your love on earth as it is in heaven, God, for us. Lord Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters that need to be with you. Just that the well is dry and there's a longing for more. Just while everyone's uh, praying, You know what, if that's you, if you just need to, to you just feel like there's a, I'm just going to invite you forward. I want to pray with you and have our team pray. But if you just, you know, you just, you just need some more. You need more of Jesus. You're tired, you're weary, and you just long for that pouring, that well to be filled. Would you just come forward right now? Just there's some time and distance between you and God. And you just want to be touched and prayed for and blessed. We're just going to invite the prayer team to come forward and pray for you. Just looking, you're looking at the last few months and you say, man, there has been short, infrequent touches with you, Jesus. I just want more. Just, that's you, just come forward. Cool. All right, let's, uh, I'm going to have them pray. If you're on the prayer team, would you just pray for the people that come forward? And let's just worship together and sing. Well